there was only one ultra race in Ireland at that point in time, which was uh, what's now the Morris Mullins Ultra, which was about 50 kilometers uh, trail race. And I entered that about 2000, I think you're right about that. And it ended up being a four-way battle at the front of the field. And I came fourth. I was the unlucky one. But that just fired me up to come back the next year and try again and get it better. And, and that's where it started. And then I started pushing out. I realized that the longer something was, the more competitive I was and the more interesting it was as a challenge. So over the years, I just started trying longer and longer and longer things. And then unfortunately, from my point of view, the longer it was, the, the more competitive I was is exactly how it turned out. So. Oh, and welcome to No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. I'm your host, John O'Regan, and in this episode I'm joined by Ian Keat. I've raced against Ian and raced with him as the teammate on a few occasions, and Ian is without doubt Ireland's most accomplished ultra-distance runner and endurance athlete. I'd also say he's the most versatile as he can turn his hand to any distance or terrain. His list of achievements is too long to list and you can find out more by visiting his Facebook page, Ian Keat Athlete, or doing a simple Google search. However, I will mention that his ultra-running career dates back to the year 2000, from what I can gather, and since then he has represented Ireland at European and World Championship level in the 100k ultra-trail and the time-based 24-hour race on 13 occasions. And he's only a few weeks away from his next international cap when he'll be part of the 24-hour team to compete at the World Championships in Albi, France. He holds numerous Irish records, including furthest distance in 24 hours, 48 hours and 6 days, he has the fastest known time for running the length of Ireland from Malinhead to Mizzenhead. And then there's his numerous adventure races around the world in some very inhospitable locations. It's an endless list. This episode is sponsored by Great Outdoors, Ireland's premier outdoor retailer, and Ian's sponsor, Columbia Sportswear. Today we are recording in the new Great Outdoors store on South Great Georgia Street in Dublin City Centre. You will find Great Outdoors online at www.greatoutdoors.ie. Not bad. I just have to correct you on one thing. Tony Mang is the 48 hour record holder. I've only got the road record. Tony's got the overall. Correction noted. Thank you. Ian, thanks for agreeing to take part in this podcast. Now, I don't want this being another podcast that's just talking about your races uh, that's been done already, but instead, I want to talk about the how and I'd like to cover some general stuff that can transfer across to other races so rather than being just specific to one something that will kind of help somebody who's thinking about taking part in one of the races that you've done or something similar so as mentioned in the intro i can trace back your ultra running career to the year 2000 why did you start doing what you do and what actually got you to continue along this path well i was a a hill walker before i was a, a runner and i just i the way I put it is I fell in with a bad crowd. And uh, that bad crowd were doing the Dublin City Marathon in 1998, I think it was. And I just said, sure, I'll join in. And it was during the training for that that I discovered I could actually run quite well. And I adjusted my targets a bit and decided to go for a three-hour marathon and got it. Uh, so then I knew I could run, which was a surprise to me because I was always a, a poor runner in school because that was all sprinting. And clearly I'm not a sprinter. From there, I realized I could run long, something I'd always had a suspicion about. And, and hill walking and mountaineering is good endurance background. So that was obviously doing me a lot of good. So uh, I just, there was only one ultra race in Ireland at that point in time, which was uh, what's now the Morris Mullins Ultra, which was about 50 kilometers 
uh, trail race and I entered that about 2000 I think you're right about that and it ended up being a four-way battle at the front of the field and I came fourth I was the unlucky one but that just fired me up to come back the next year and try again and get it better and, and that's where it started and then I started pushing out I realized that the longer something was the more competitive I was and the more interesting it was as a challenge so over the years I just started trying longer and longer and longer things and then unfortunately from my point of view the longer it was the, the more competitive I was is exactly how it turned out so and plus as you mentioned over the years I've also noticed that you've got better as you've got older can you tell me a little bit about your training I have a fairly ad hoc training approach, mostly based on feel. I mean, I understand the generalities of structured training and I try and incorporate the, the principles as opposed to specific plans. So in, in any given week, I would be going in with, with a broad aim of uh, doing at least one speed session, whether that be intervals at my club or uh, tempo runs I'd go do myself. Uh, one definite long, long run, which for me would be about six hours, maybe a bit longer. And a little bit of cycling work these days on the turbo trainer, just for mixing it up. And just filling in in between, depending on how I feel, there might be just, you know, e relatively easy runs of about two hours. Uh, definitely getting up to the hills uh, once or twice a week, uh, whether whether easy or moderate. But mixing it up and, you know, without having a huge plan, but, you know, overall making sure to incorporate all the components here and there. You know, and, and obviously uh, I'll adjust a little bit here and there depending on what the next race is. So if the next race is a 24-hour road race, I'll put more emphasis on running on the roads, that kind of thing. Talking about racing, there's a phrase that's used by running coaches that says you don't race in training. But from what I can gather, you seem to be a prolific racer. And I'd say that you race for training because you always seem to be popping up on race results. So would you agree with that? Well, I definitely think that any race you do has a huge training benefit. So I never discount the training race of any race I, I take part in. So like that last weekend, just gone, I took part in a race, you know, which is a race in its own right. But now in my head, that's good training for the 24 hour race just coming up. So I always make sure mentally to to make that conversion in my head. Even if it was the biggest race of the year, it'll still be a training race for the next one. Also, I do think there's a there's an art to racing and there's definite uh, benefit to doing as much race as you can just to get used to racing and that competitive aspect. So a lot of people can, you know, get nervous about it or whatever. And, you know, there's a... You can get more relaxed and comfortable by just doing more of anything. So I definitely like to you know I, I delve into the Irish Mountain Running Association races uh, you know I did I did about 10 or 12 of them this year just to get used to racing and sort of counted out a speed work for the week you know yeah that makes perfect sense because you do need to get used to that feeling of being on the start line waiting on something to begin and then the opposed the variety of paces and that around you yeah absolutely and learning how to react and you know there is a lot to it that not being nervous in the start line and i know you and some others of my teammates have commented how relaxed i can look on the start line at the world championships and i think it's one of the reasons why i think in the race environment there's a tendency to lose control and get caught up in the race absolutely but what i've noticed from you in the 24 hour racing is that you just sit there you just do your own thing and you let the race unfold around you. I don't think you overtake people. I think that they end up falling back and they as such undertaking you. It can be a mix of both. But yeah, I, I, I certainly know when not to race and when to, to hold in my own world and when to start making that mental switch to not just pacing, but actually racing. Now, a lot of your races are off-road, on trail or in the mountains. 
much higher than we have access to here in Ireland. How do you prepare to excel in these conditions? Because you, you don't go over to just take part. Like you always feature at the pointy end, or, or you're winning it, or you're up there on the podium. And these days, it can be the age group podium, but I'll take whatever podium I can get. Yeah, I, it's obviously a, an interesting difficulty you have in Ireland. You know, we don't have any Alps. Uh, the highest mountain here is a thousand meters. In my local training, it's it's three or four hundred meters. So the way I look at it is, the best I can do, even on the long runs, is to be doing hill repeats and. That in itself is useful training. So I do the best I can, you know, there's this, but there's not, you're always at a bit of a disadvantage to people who are in alpine countries and have big mountains. But you just have to accept that and know that you'll have a slight disadvantage there, but just deal with it and carry on and do your best anyway. You know, I've heard you say packing for training and packing for racing are somewhat different. How would you describe that? Uh, when I'm training, I bring the kitchen sink, uh, <laughs> you know, absolutely everything. Even in the middle of the summer, I'll usually be running around with a backpack with uh, waterproofs and, you know, extra warm gloves and so on. And most of the summer, they just don't get used. But I'll, I'm actually training to carry them around because you never know what way a race is going to go. And quite often races will have a long list of manager gear with you should have and even more importantly even if they don't have it it's gear you should probably have with you anyway just in case because you don't want to get caught in the middle of the wilderness with the weather turning so i definitely uh carry way more in training just because in itself it's good training carrying the weight around and getting used to carrying the bulk around as well whereas in racing i'll absolutely be watching the weather forecast optimizing the gear for the, the route and the weather forecast that's coming and you know get it down to exactly what I need. So in training, you pack what you want and in racing, you pack what you need. That's pretty much it. You mentioned recommended kit list. Apart from the recommended kit list, is there something that you would consider an essential to you? Something that if you were trying to keep things as stripped as possible, you bring the recommended, but then there's something that you'd seldom do without. It depends on the race. Uh, I mean, obviously, it, it definitely, for, for the road races, there's very little because generally there's no recommended list and you just you just bring exactly what you want. But for mountain races, it would depend where you are. The one thing I would generally always make sure is to have a really good uh, waterproof jacket, even, you know, when, no matter what the circumstances are, a good lightweight one. It's because if things start to go wrong, that's the first line of defense. So that's usually the, the, the main thing for me. Well, as you mentioned that, there's a bit of advice you gave me many years ago about being in the mountains, about being cold, that when you get cold, it's very hard to heat up. If, you, if you're warm, it's very easy to just lose a bit of that extra heat. Absolutely. Now, help me select a backpack. What, what would you look for? It can be quite a personal thing. One thing I look for is to make sure that everything is accessible as you're running or is everything you're likely to need bar stuff that'll only come out in an emergency so i like big front pockets so that i can put say if i was running a long race i'd have the head torch there might have the bits of food there might have the gloves there so that i can reach them without actually stopping i can get everything on the move uh, likewise i like to have the the water on the front because that keeps everything balanced so i like to use the big hard water bottles so i like those uh, situated on the front of the pack where i can actually get at them without using my hands and they're also easier to refill so those are the things I look for. Size, of course, is important as well, depending on the race. So, I, you know, if I'm doing a multi-day race with a huge uh, list of gear, then I need quite a large pack. Whereas if I'm doing a shorter, you know, 12-hour race or shorter again. Yeah, shorter 12-hour race. I would agree with what you're saying there about the water bottles as well. I much prefer having water bottles in the front. I had used a, a bladder before in a, in a backpack and I had run out of water until I took my bag off to refill it and realized that there was plenty of water left in the bag and I just couldn't access it. So that kind of turned me against them. And I think if you have it on your front, you're more liable to actually uh, 
think about using it as well. Now, do you use walking poles or would you recommend them? Uh, that's one thing I learned from racing the UTMB in particular is the value of walking poles. I used to be thoroughly against them in my adventure racing days, especially. I used to uh, get quite annoyed at people who relied on them, but the, the, the UTMB taught me uh, my first uh, first time in my first UTMB. I was watching all the walkers powering past me with their poles as I was uh, walking as fast as I could, and I was thinking, nope, no, I have to actually take walking poles. They clearly work and they're effective. Plus, I learned how to use... Uh, walking poles in the sort of Nordic style, which uh, you really do feel the power come on when you're using them correctly. So these days, uh, for mountain races, definitely, particularly for big mountain races, uh, especially if it's going over five or six hours, then they really start to make a big difference. It was noticeable in, in the likes of the Barclay Martins, which has, you know, some of the the best runners in the world and pretty much everyone there was saying walking poles are indispensable for that race now touching on the races how do you go from racing a scenic trail to racing for 24 hours on a track yeah 24 hours is a much more mental game that's for sure it, it's been saying a lot recently i could easily try and convince a 24 hour runner to try a trail race but i don't think i'd ever try and convince a trail racer to try a 24 hour run because it's something you actually have to want to do and for me the 24 hour track racing is it's the purity of it you know you get to you can compare against existing records it takes it's a very precise thing and it's a very pure thing so it comes down to the purity of the actual running effort as opposed to it gets rid of all the outside factors to do it trail and conditions because you could run the same trail race you know a couple of hours apart and it'd be a completely different race because of what the weather is doing and so on and so forth or even in a different uh, season or whatever but when you're running on a particularly on a, a small loop ultra long time one you know it's pretty much the same no matter where you go so uh, it becomes much more comparable and i like that purity of it you know you can compare yourself to the the greatest ever the likes of Yanis kuros or you can follow your own legends and you know you can race directly against them it's great and how do you keep yourself mentally focused for 24 hours uh you have to have it and you have to find it for yourself uh i've made mistakes in the past where i can remember it what turned out to be my best world championship results I actually did lose focus halfway through because I was focused on breaking the Irish 100-mile record. And then I did it, but it was too early. It was still only 15 hours into the race, and I hadn't given myself a follow-on focus. So within 10 minutes, I was actually stopped uh, because mentally I, I kind of went on it down. Uh, so I learned from that that you have to have something to motivate you, whatever it is, but it's got to be there. So the thing that I will grab it from lots of different places and it can be different things during the one race so i might start by just simply focusing on doing a good uh pacing you know hitting exactly the pace i want to do but usually after a while you're doing the only pace you can do and it doesn't matter what you think you should be doing and then i'll focus on something else which quite often in my case would be just competition you know where am i what's my position who's in front who's behind how do i stay in front of the people behind me how do i catch the guys in front you know just working all all through that so you always have targets within the main target absolutely now what about sleep deprivation how do you deal with that sleep deprivation is probably my most hated thing in ultra running dealing with it i basically try and not do it uh, and i've been learning over the years how to to manage my downtime so as to make it less likely i'll get thoroughly sleep deprived now on a on a flat race doing a six-day race in loops that's relatively easy because you're only ever you know a maximum mile away from uh from where you can rest so you could just do that completely on feel but if you're up in the mountains in bad weather 
you really have to think ahead and know when it's safe to take a uh, sleep because particularly in uh, harsher weather conditions it's actually far too dangerous quite often to actually sleep if the weather is uh, pretty bad so you just need to go on so you have to anticipate in advance and take you know just the right amount of time to get you through to the next opportunity the other thing i've tried to balance out over the years and learned both from myself and other people is the amount of time you need so it varies for uh say if it, it was a 48 hour ish race you might only need a maximum of an hour or two whereas if you were doing a, a six day race you might need three hours minimum per night depending but again it's down to you as an individual and you have to figure it out for yourself the other thing is short naps can be hugely advantageous uh, so even a 10 minute power nap might get you six hours of effective running with the Berkeley marathon did you go into that with sleep deprivation or were you fresh at the start I, they seem to structure it in a way that you you're always on edge before the race actually starts no i was uh, this is where the calmness and the starting line kicked in there i was absolutely fresh as a daisy at the start had a perfect night's sleep beforehand yeah by the end i wasn't <laughs> knowing in advance that you were going to be in the deprived state during that how does that affect your ability to mentally prepare for the race doesn't really affect that you just know it's going to be a factor and you just accept it you just accept it exactly it's it's part of the fun it's part of the part of the game and i suppose when you do the non-stop as opposed to stage races you know that's part of the game and it's part of the racing as well so it becomes a, a tactic and a strategy how you organize that and something that you're going to be using as a competitive aspect not just something to be um to be dealt with but something you can use as a racing weapon if you like now i'm going to give you one race for next year and you choose it from the list that you've already done, what's it going to be? Basically, what's your favourite race? I'd have to say my favourite race, best race experience I've ever had was the Barclay Marathons. <laughs> no doubt about it. Right, so if you're doing that again next year, how are you going to prepare yourself for that? Oh, boy. I uh, For the Barclay, the main thing I would have to do is lots and lots of hill work because it's such an incredibly hilly race. It's, you know, I everyone goes into it I think complacent thinking they have some shot at it but you come out of it realizing that it's just absolutely kicked you big time and in my case what really kicked me was the the sheer up down up down up down the relentless climbing even though the hills aren't massive in the sense that they're a thousand meters or so but they're just uh, steep and relentless do you know what elevation you covered during that well how much ascent descent i have no idea whatsoever <laughs> and i don't think anyone would that's the thing about it so it's really really hard then to prepare for that when you don't know what you're preparing for well all i can can look at it from my point of view is the hardest uh, climbing ascending i've ever done in a race and i've done some pretty intense ones like the utmb seems pretty moderate in comparison even the tour de gaunt which is probably the climbiest race apart from barclay i've done that looks actually relatively straightforward in comparison because you do get more relaxed sections, but with the, with the Barclay, you really don't get to relax at all. Could you make a comparison with any kind of a, an incline that we'd experience here in Ireland? Oh, I I, I know that uh, recently going up the side of Sugarloaf in an Emmer race where the entire field basically ended up almost crawling to a halt. That's that's a pretty similar experience, except that's just for a minute or two as opposed to, you know, nonstop. <laughs> yeah, okay, I could imagine that. Now, training-wise, you said apart from the, the hills, what else would you do in prep for that race? Funny enough, that's where cycling kicks in a bit more because I find that cycling is really good preparation for, for hill climbing. So I do a lot of work on the turbo trainer or on the anything at all, just as long as it's uh, hard work cycling, whether it be on the roads or whether it be on the mountain work, uh, mountain bike, pardon me. And um, 
I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's got more Barclay Fun Run finishes than anyone else, and we were agreeing cycling is a hu- should be a huge part of any uh, you know big hill work training because it's massively beneficial, and it's one of those things I've noticed over the years that cyclists come to hill races and do very well on the uphills just out of their cycling training. The other thing is just to to go you know emphasize the endurance aspect because. It's in the end, it's all about the endurance. In an interview after the 50-kilometer race walking board championships in Doha, the Irish athlete Brendan Boyce, who finished sixth, was expressing his passion for the 50k, saying that it's it's misery and Irish people like misery. Do you think that's part of the attraction you have with these races? I'd honestly say no, because <laughs> I like to minimize the misery. And I've spent my my career sort of working out what hurt. How do I make it stop hurting? And I can remember my first 100k race, which was probably, it was actually only the third ultra I did, but it was my first as an Irish international. And I remember my quads really hurt for the second half of the race. And, you know, I figured out what the problem was and I tried to formulate a plan to fix it. And that turned out to be more cycling because cycling does quad muscles much more effectively. And literally, I haven't had that same pain since. So that's that was the first example of factoring out the pain. So... I was talking earlier about sleep deprivation and how I'm learning to try and factor it out because I hate it so much, I don't want to do it. So my approach to pain is to try and figure out how not to get it. You know, you're always going to get something and, you know, as you factor out one lot, something else pops in. But definitely over the years, and you really notice it with 24-hour running because you know yourself, 24-hour running will, will find a weakness, whatever it is. And... I factored out a lot of things over the years. I used to get really, really sore, tired feet. I don't get that anymore. And that's miles in the legs and experience, I think, is what's cured that. So bit by bit, I try and factor everything out. Ultra running seems to be becoming a lot more popular now. And on the race calendar, there's a huge amount of events. What advice would you have for someone that's thinking about starting out? Just do it is my biggest piece of advice. A lot of people worry that they don't have the training done or they haven't done long enough in training or that they need to work through they might want think they need to do 50k before they do 100k or do 100k before they do 24 hours and my approach has always been just do what you want to do because the most important thing of all is to be motivated and to want it and really there's no reason why you can't start at any distance you know if, if you're coming along to do, to run a marathon nobody says you have to start 100 meters then do 200 meters then so on and so forth you can go straight into a marathon training program Ultras are just another distance. They're, they're not that magical in terms of, you know, it's not a big mystery going beyond a marathon. A marathon's uh, an arbitrary distance in itself anyway. So just take that approach. Just if you want to do it, go do it. Pick a race you'd actually love to do and, and, you know, embrace it and go for it. And learn by doing. Learn by doing. Any race I do, the first one I always sort of write off mentally in my head is the learning experience. You know, you don't, you don't really get to race until you have that first one down as an experience. I think the part of the problem is that if you go researching a lot of races or, or you know, reading interviews and that, you find that some people make the races out to just be so tough that they're almost impossible to do. The Marathon de Sable has been a perfect example. Yeah. The toughest foot race in the world, which it's not the toughest foot race in the world. Not by a long shot. No, not by a long shot. But I think the wrong picture is painted and that kind of intimidates people So to the point where they're really afraid to take part in it. When I did that back in 2001 or two, I was kind of thinking, myself is, is this it it was not what i was expecting and only for i wanted to do it so much if i believed what i was reading i wouldn't have gone over and, and uh, doing it so i think like what you're saying there if you want to try one of these events or if you're interested in doing it just 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 get out and do it absolutely i i had a is this it of experience in the spartathlon another 
famous race which we've both done and uh, there's a big hill in the middle which people even when I was there people were going on and on about how difficult it was and I literally reached the top of the hill and went is this it <laughs> you know it's, it was far easier to now than all the, the write-ups would have you believe yeah I thought the exact same now when I come down the far side of that hill I probably come down too quickly and I did feel the effect of that but then I knew there was a second mountain to cross and I was waiting to cross the second mountain, but didn't realise I was on a mountain because there was a road going through it. And I was over the next one without knowing I'd actually reach it. It was only my support crew told me, no, the, the mountain is behind you. And I was conserving my energy for that. But yeah, that that's it. Like Sometimes uh, the wrong picture is painted. Depends on who you're talking to. Yeah, and the key is not to be intimidated because everyone's doing the same thing. And in the end, nobody is actually Superman. You know, every everyone is probably hurting to a similar degree, just some are hurting at a faster pace than others. But, you know, it's the same experience for everyone. And there is definitely a tendency to over dramatize how hard everything is, you know, because, you know, in the end, any race is hard. I, I've often heard right up until this week, listening to Doha, that the 800 meters is as hard as it gets. And I've heard ultra runners say that I was looking at a big discussion among some of the top American ultra runners and quite a few of them were agreeing that 800 meters was the hardest thing. Yeah, I've heard it also and I run a few 10k races that I found particularly tough and I've no rush to go back and try and get a 10k PB again. Likewise, yeah. Actually, last Friday, I think it was, I was doing an easy 8 kilometer run locally and I reckon that I, I hit the wall during that. Like I just, just felt my head was going and I was only going at an easy pace but that's down to what preceded it with not fueling right and whatever but yeah i felt the effect during an easy run so it's all down to suppose your preparation and your training and how you approach something absolutely and similarly likewise you know the hardest runs i do in training are probably my speed work because you know for me it's it's quite natural to go out running for six hours i can quite enjoy that you know and uh, that would intimidate a lot of people oh you did a six hour run at the weekend how do you manage to go that far and it's actually just you get used to and you do it but even being used to and doing speed work i still find that harder to mentally get myself going and that it takes about a minute or two for me to to kick into the real enjoying the speed work which takes me no time to kick into enjoying the longer stuff and just as you mentioned the speed work i think that's very important for somebody doing ultra distance because if you can suffer that bit in training it makes the pace you're doing your ultra distance pace a lot more manageable a lot more comfortable yes absolutely and and similarly you know people understand the concept that if you you run longer than your race distance then you know you can run the distance that's the flip side of that if you can run faster than your race speed then you can know you can you can run that speed you know so it's definitely a a a similar a method i use when training for the ultras is with a marathon you do your long run slower than your marathon pace but me with when i'm training for an ultra i do most of the long runs faster than the than the ultra pace depending on the distance of course is there anything else you want to add to the chat Mm, there's probably about four hours worth of chat yeah well there probably is but We'll keep it easy. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to be boring people either. Absolutely. Is there a piece of kit that you would kind of say is something that you would be your favourite, something you bring everywhere with you? Uh, it's definitely my Outdry Extreme jacket. That that comes with me absolutely everywhere. And at this stage, I have a few of them. But uh, I have a nice uh, new one now, which is I'm absolutely loving. And I've uh, they're bringing out light. They have lighter versions of the jacket now, which just makes it a no-brainer to bring it pretty much everywhere all the time. Yeah, I've actually started using that myself based on, on your own recommendation. And yeah, I th- I'd have to agree with you there. Great piece of kit. Okay, Ian, we'll leave it at that. And uh, I'll no doubt be talking to you before next race. I hope, certainly hope so. <laughs> 
thanks for your time and we'll get you back to maybe talk a bit more specific about a particular event in, at a later date oh it'll be my pleasure I the one thing I can do I can run for Ireland but I can also talk for Ireland when the need arises okay, Inky thank you very much Thank you.